I have a great sermon coming for you. I don't know the exact date, <laughs> but our, our passage is 2 Samuel. Uh, we're continuing on our study on the life of David and uh, the associated Psalms. And our theme this morning is peace and planning under pressure. By way of background, uh, David or Solomon is David's chosen heir, uh, both Ab- Ammon out of the way and Abigail's son dead, uh, Absalom is next in line to the throne. Uh, for four years, Absalom laid his plans, uh, gradually winning the people over, and now he comes into the open. Uh, the trumpet sounds, the rebellion is revealed, Absalom reigns in Hebron. Meanwhile, five miles north northwest of uh, Hebron and the mountains of Judah in the town of Gilo lives Ahithophel, the Gilonite, the grandfather of Bathsheba. Ahithophel is counselor to both Absalom and David. Uh, they both considered his advice to be from the voice of God. So Absalom sins for him, and Ahithophel, most likely seeing the opportunity to revenge his granddaughter, joins the rebellion and will soon enter the city of Jerusalem with Absalom. Meanwhile, back in Jerusalem, David says, We must leave immediately, or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin upon us. So quickly, David, his household, his servants, and from the land of the Philistines, Ittai the Gittite, I spent more time learning how to pronounce these words than I did on the message, (laughs) Ittai the Gittite with his 600 men and their families march away fleeing the city in exile. The challenge to David is serious. The king is caught unprepared to save the city and to gain time He leaves Jerusalem, danger is upon him. And so here is a lesson. What is the greatest danger you face? Uh, uh, David faced the fact that he was in danger and he fled the city. He took action to save his life and certainly we all face a common danger. The danger of an eternity in hell separated from God, tormented in the lake of fire. The danger is how to escape hell, to escape God's judgment for sin that we were born with and the sins we commit. A couple weeks ago, Ken gave us an excellent message on the consequences, the downstream consequences of sin. And so David takes action to save his physical life. We need to take action to save our eternal soul. Uh, The solution is to flee the wrath to come. The scripture says whoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ has eternal life as a current present possession. But whoever believes not the Son or rejects the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. Not a pleasant thing to have hanging over your head, the wrath of God. Don't get caught unprepared. 
Repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will save your soul. Well, let's read from 2 Samuel chapter 15. I'm going to be reading from the New King James because that's what I have in front of me. Verse 24. There was Zadok also, and all the Levites with him, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God, and Abiathar went up until all the people had finished crossing over from the city. Then the king said to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no delight in you, here I am, let him do to me as seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Aren't you a seer? Return to the city in peace, and your two sons with you, Ahimahaz your son, and Jonathan the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait in the plains of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. Therefore Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. Now Abiathar the high priest goes up to the Mount of Olives to observe the evacuation. It's the business of Zadok and the Levites to bear the ark, and they carried it from place to place. And so they carried the ark of the covenant out of the city and set it down as the people passed by. However, David tells Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. Why does he say that? because he was concerned for the safety of the ark. Notice in this passage that David hopes for the best, but provides for the worst. On the one hand, he says, if I find favor, I'll return the city into the ark. On the other hand, God, if God says, I'm not pleased with you, either way, David does not object. All is well that God does. And so here's a difficult practice that we learn from David. Do not complain about the present. See God's hand in all events. Don't be afraid of the future. See all events in God's hand. We need not complain about the present or fear the future because God's hand is in all events and all events are in God's hand and so like Job, if you recall, David recognizes God's power. Job said he can do his will. God's sovereignty. He has the right to do his will. God's unchangeableness. He will do his will. And so because he is wise and good, let him do his will. And so the lesson for us is to assent to the will of God. Let's review the situation with the high priests. Zadok and Abiathar uh, constitute a double high priest because Zadok was the high priest appointed by Saul of the house of Eleazar. 
the 11th in descent from Aaron. Let's skip a few there. He joined David after Saul's death and was loyal to David and Solomon throughout his life. In fact, Zadok himself was the first high priest in Solomon's temple. His descendants were the high priests in the temple until its destruction in 587. David calls Zadok a seer, a wise man, one who can see into business, discern time, and judgment. On the other hand, Abiathar was a high priest appointed by David. He was the fourth in descent from Eli. When Abiathar's family was executed by Saul, Abiathar escaped and he fled to David, bringing the ephod, which David used to inquire of the Lord. Unfortunately, when David was old and on his deathbed, Abiathar supported Solomon's son, Adonijah, for kingship, rather than Solomon in the succession plan. Zadok and Nathan, of course, supported Solomon. So, when Solomon became king, he banished Abiathar to Anathoth, a city of refuge three miles northeast of Jerusalem. So this confined the high priestly succession to Zadok's lineage as a descendant of Aaron. Uh, this terminated the rule of Eli, uh, Eli's house in fulfillment of the prophecy in 1 Samuel. Now this is easy to get confused in this whole passage. There's so many names, so many people, so much background, and it's not even very linear because we find out that David has to deal with the high priests. Then he deals with Hushai. Then he deals with Ziba. And then he deals with Shimei, and then it goes back to the palace, and there's a bunch of advice going on. And so we will continue with a prayer and a plan. Verse 30, chapter 15. So David went up by ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went up. And he had his head covered and went barefoot. All the people with him covered their heads and went up, weeping as they went up. Then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Verse 32. Now it happened. When David had come to the top of the mountain, where he worshipped God, there was Hushai, the archite, coming to meet him with his robe torn and dust on his head. David said to him, If you go on with me, then you'll become a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I was your father's servant previously. And so I will now also be your servant. Then you may defeat the council of Ahithophel for me. And um, do you not have Zadok and Abiathar, the priests there with you? Therefore, it will be that whatever you hear from the king's house, you shall tell to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests. Indeed, they have there with them their two sons, Ahimahaz 
Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them you shall send me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, went into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. It's interesting as a side note there that when David went up to the Mount of Olives, weeping, it was the same place a thousand years later that the Lord Jesus Christ was to spend the night of his betrayal. So, we have David's prayer, and we have David's plan. Ahithophel was Bathsheba's granddaughter, her grandfather, the wisest of David's advisors, but now among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, here's his prayer, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Ahithophel's name means folly. And so David makes a play on words. He says, turn the counsel of folly into foolishness. Hmm. David doesn't lose his sense of humor, even under pressure. Then David comes up with a plan. He organizes a spy ring. David sends the two priests back to Jerusalem, confident that they will gather intelligence and serve his interest. He puts them in place to spy on Absalom's activities. Furthermore, the two sons, Ahimehaz and Jonathan, are appointed as messengers to bring information as to the progress of Absalom's rebellion. So David would go on as far as the west bank of the Jordan and wait for a word from them. So even under pressure, David formulates a plan. He expands his information network, takes action to include Hushai. So Hushai is sent back to outwit Ahithophel, whose wise counsel is likely to result in disaster for David. So David's group of spies now include the two high priests, Zadok and Abiathar, their two sons, and Hushai. Now it's interesting here for us, the key to better planning is to pray before you plan. <laughs> Your plan will work better when you talk to God first. Have you experienced this? I have. The tendency is to devise a plan and then ask God to ratify it. <laughs> and then bail you out when it doesn't work. Right? You experienced that? I have. Don't learn very fast sometimes. But it's best to pray before you plan. Now, Psalm 3 is a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. And at this point, Absalom, his followers, Ahithophel, and more people to come are after David. And David says, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. <clears throat> I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. 
Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. You have struck down all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. So the key to peace under pressure, um, he says, I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. You recall the scripture that says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Here's the key. This is what I practice. I read scripture just before I go to sleep every night. And I don't dream. I just go to sleep and wake up. For decades it's been that way. Because that scripture says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. And I don't read it on the the, the smartphone either. I use paper and ink. It doesn't need to be charged. It never interrupts me. <laughs> Complete disassociation. Because all the trouble in life comes from that smartphone. People always interrupted your life. No, you can call me if you want. I don't care. <laughs> but we associate this with a lot of pressure, don't we? When you pick up your Bible in print and ink, it's more comforting just to read the scripture. Try it sometime. Try it tonight. Try it over a period of time and see if that doesn't calm your heart and calm your mind. Just a suggestion. Let's continue on now. Chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Ziba, bringing supplies and a lie. Verse 1. When David was a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, who met him with a couple of saddle donkeys, and on them two hundred loaves of bread, one hundred clusters of raisins, one hundred summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, What do you mean to do with these? So Ziba said, The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit are for the young men to eat, and the wine is for those who are faint, who faint in the wilderness uh, to drink. And uh, the king said to Ziba, And where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is staying in Jerusalem. For he said, Today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. So the king said to Ziba, Here, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you that I may find favor in your sight, my lord, O king. Well, as you recall from David Marsh's message with Ziba, David had commanded Ziba to cultivate King Saul's estate, which had been, had been restored to the possession of Mephibosheth, his grandson. Ziba had done quite well for himself, having acquired 15 sons and 20 servants, and now he sees a chance to further his wealth. He claims that Mephibosheth did not come along because he wanted to stay in Jerusalem and have the kingdom restored, uh, the kingdom of his grandfather Saul restored to him. So David hastily 
transfers all the property of Mephibosheth to Ziba. Of course, as we read later on, Mephibosheth denies the charges made against him, resulting in the land being divided between the two of them. So David, acting on the only information he had, assumed that Ziba told the truth. Therefore, he rewarded Ziba's loyalty and punished Mephibosheth's reported disloyalty. This was the exact response Ziba wanted. Ziba is an example of someone who wickedly uses a crisis for their own benefit. Perhaps Ziba was the originator of the statement, never let a good crisis go to waste. The lesson for us is that there's two sides to every story. It's always worth listening or trying to understand both opposing views or perspectives of a situation. Now David, Solomon's son, said, the first to present his case seems right till another comes forward and questions him. There's two sides to every story. You've experienced this. Get both sides of the story before making a decision to find the real truth. Walter Concrete, who was not a theologian, he was a newscaster, but he said, in seeking truth, you have to get both sides of a story. Jonathan Edwards, who was a great preacher, said, there are always two sides to every story. And it is generally wise to take the best side. And yet, there is probably no one way in which persons are so liable to be wrong as in presuming the worst is true without waiting until the truth is known. Have you experienced this in your life, even with your kids? <laughs> there are two sides to every story, at least two sides. And so we'd do well to take that lesson to heart. The next little scene is Shimei, chapter 16, verses 5 through 14. Here we go. Now, when King David came to Purim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, coming from there. He came out, cursing continuously as he came. And he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. Doesn't appear that Ziba's too smart when the king's there who's slain thousands of people, plus all of his mighty men, and he's standing there throwing stones at him. But anyway, verse 7. Also Shimei said thus when he cursed, Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom your son. So now, you're caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. Then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, by the way, Zariah was David's sister. And so Abishai, one of his mighty men, was David's nephew. And he's pretty gung-ho. He says, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please, 
Let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? So let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, Curse David. Who then shall say, Why have you done so? David said to Abishai and all his servants, See how my son, who came from my own body, seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite? Let him alone, let him curse, for so the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. Verse 13, And as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went, threw stones at him, and kicked up dust. And then finally in verse 14, Now the king and all the people who were with him became weary, so they refreshed themselves there. Shimei takes vindictive pleasure in the downfall of the man he perceives to have taken the kingdom away from his family. But it's not a good idea to rejoice in the misfortune of others. Abishai says, let me go over and take off his head. Abishai didn't want to listen to Shimei curse or dodge stones anymore. And the mighty men surrounding David were ready to kill Shimei in an instant. But David says, what have I to do with you? So we ask the question, why did David let Shimei curse him? David let Shimei curse him because he was not a bloodthirsty man. Ironically, if David were the kind of man that Shimei said he was, Shimei would have been killed. David says, so let him curse. He didn't try to shut up Shimei. He didn't close his ears to unpleasant words or critical words. David is willing to hear what God might say to him through a cursing critic. So our lesson is be humble in the face of criticism. Now that is a real tough one, isn't it? Because half the time, well, probably more than that, they're right. And we do need to take corrective action. David further says, the Lord has said to him, David let Shimei say this because he saw the hand of God in this circumstance. He knew that God was more than able to shut Shimei up. And David didn't need to give the order. God would take care of it if he wanted to. And so the next lesson is to see the hand of God in every circumstance. Then David advances it further. He says, see how my son, my own son, who came from my own body, seeks my life. How much more now this Benjamite, someone whose family is no longer on the throne? David put this Shimei problem in perspective. He knew that the real problem was Absalom, not Shimei, and so he didn't lose his perspective. And so when under pressure, don't lose perspective. Identify the real problem. And finally, David says, let him alone, let him curse, David could have took this fellow's head off himself. He'd slain thousands. (laughs) Yet he said, let him alone, let him curse. An excellent example. Spurgeon said, if you can revenge yourself, don't. If you could do it 
as easily as open your hand, keep your hand shut. If one bitter word could end the argument, ask for grace to spare the bitter word. Because the lesson for us is don't revenge yourself. This is hard not to react. But Deuteronomy 32 says, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. In due time, their foot will slip, their day of disaster is near, and their doom rushes upon them. Romans 12 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Of course, James says, The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, David says in verse 12, It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and the Lord will repay me with good for cursing this day, his cursing this day. David let Shimei speak because he knew that God's hand was on the future as well as in the present. David knew that if he did what was right in the present moment, God would take care of the future. So if you do what's right in the present moment, God will take care of the future. Now, as you recall, it did not end well for Shimei. After the death of Absalom, the men of Judah met to bring David across the Jordan River and back into Jerusalem as king. Guess who the first person to meet him was? Shimei. Shimei threw himself at David's feet, asking for penitence and mercy. Of course, Abishai, he was there, he still wanted to kill him. But David says, no, nobody's going to die today. I'm going back as king. You shall not die. And David kept his promise. However, on David's deathbed, he brings the whole scene to the recollection of his son, Solomon. So, Solomon gives notice to Shimei. He says two things. Number one, build a house in Jerusalem. Number two, consider yourself confined to the city of Jerusalem upon pain of death. Shimei agrees to these terms. Three years later, two of Shimei's slaves run off to Gath. Shimei leaves Jerusalem, goes and finds his slaves, and brings them back. Subsequently, Solomon finds out Shimei broke his promise. Solomon summons him. You know in your heart all the wrong you did to my father David. Now the Lord will repay you for your wrongdoing. Then Solomon gives the order. Shimei is struck down and killed. The kingdom was now firmly established in Solomon's hand. So the Lord eventually took care of the problem. And the passage says, so they refreshed themselves there. Refusing to cling to the throne, David was like Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so G. Campbell Morgan summarizes it this way. He says, As we follow David 
through these days of humiliation and shame, we nevertheless understand more perfectly that he indeed was a man after God's own heart. This is a radiant illustration of a deep and inward peace given to any man who's living in fellowship with God and motive and desire. So, you see the progression, try to make this a little bit linear. David flees Jerusalem, he deals with the high priest, Hushai, Ziaba, Shimei, and now we go back to the palace to wrap this thing up. 2 Samuel chapter 16, verses 15 through 18. Meanwhile, Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel was with him. And so it was when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, that Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king, long live the king. And Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, No, but whom the Lord and his people and all the men of Israel choose, his I will be, and with him I will remain. Furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son, as I have served in your father's presence? So will I be in your presence. Jerusalem, Hushai, convinces Absalom of his loyalty using flattery and lies. And so if that's on your agenda, there's your key. Let's get to the advice column. Remember, Hithophil is going to give some advice, and Hushai is going to give some advice. Absalom said, verse 20, to Hithophil, give advice is what we should do. And Hithophil said to Absalom, go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you are abhorred by your father. Then the hands of all who are with you will be strong. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on top of the house, and Absalom went in to his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel both to David and Absalom. So this is an example of Ahithophel's political strategy. By taking over David's harem, Absalom would convince his followers the reconciliation with his father is impossible. No king could forgive such a public insult. Chapter 17. Moreover, Hithophel said to Absalom, Now let me, here's his advice. Let me choose 12,000 men and I'll rise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he's weary and weak and make him afraid and all the people who are with him will flee and I will strike only the king. Then I'll bring back all the people to you. When all return except the man whom you seek, all the people will be at peace. And the same pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Ethavel's advice was to strike quickly, and only against the king, to avoid a civil war. This was excellent advice. In fact, it was the very thing that David was worried about earlier, if you recall. David said, we must move immediately, or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin upon us. This was very good advice. But then Hushai, of course, was sent to confuse the advice. And so Hushai appeals to the uh, vanity of Absalom 
And we'll just kind of slide down through here. He says uh, in verse 11, Therefore I advise that all Israel be fully gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba, like the sand that is by the sea for multitude, and that you go into battle in person. Fall upon him, destroy him, and everything. And of course, Absalom, having been appealed to his vanity, says, this is a great plan. I'll gather all the people of Israel. We'll go take care of the deal. So Hushai then warns David to escape. And he sends uh, the servants, and um, they have to hide from the pursuit in a well. And they go and advise David. And David safely crosses the Jordan River and escapes. Now this concludes very grimly. Verse 23. Now when Hithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he saddled a donkey and arose and went to his home, his house, his city. Then he put his household in order and hanged himself and died. And he was buried in his father's tomb. Hethophel, the Gilonite, the grandfather of Bathsheba, the traitor, had the foresight to realize the consequences to follow. David was going to escape and regain the throne. So he commits suicide. I don't have any comments on that. But pick two or three of these little lessons that we learned today and take them home with you. Or maybe just pick one. Or ignore them all. (laughs) This is a pretty good smorgasbord here of little lessons, isn't it? Maybe one or two of these are difficult for you. It's quite a laundry list. Ascent to the will of God. Flee and face danger. Perhaps you're not a believer this morning and you're trying to figure out how to get to heaven from earth. How to have your sins forgiven. Today is the day. It's the acceptable day. to Put your trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. Pray before planning. There are two sides to every story. Be humble in the face of criticism. See the hand of God in every circumstance. Don't complain. Don't fear. Don't lose perspective. God is in control. He's the sovereign of the universe. Do not revenge yourself. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Do right in the present. God will take care of the future. Perhaps some of these will be effective in your life this week. Perhaps they'll be effective to change your life. But these are some of the lessons we learn from the life of David. When he was pursued, he found peace under pressure. Lord, we just thank you this morning that you've left us the written word to instruct us, to guide us, to direct us. We just pray that we'd apply our hearts to wisdom as we read your word and understand it. Dismiss us now with your choicest blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.